Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the plague. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Welcome into Attacking Third. It has been a busy week of international fixtures, and we're going to take a look at all of the news and breakdown of the U.S. Women's National Team's game against South Africa. But first, I'm your host, Jenny Chu, Lisa Carlin, Jordan Angeli, and Darian Jenkins here with you today. First of all, ladies, the women's so- first of on. all, wait, first of all, happy birthday, happy Jenny Chu. Thank you. Jenny Chu. Thank you, thank you, thank you, guys. It's uh, a big weekend. On. Yeah. <laughs> Today's actually your birthday. We're not like, you know, skirting around like it was on the weekend or it's tomorrow and we don't have our show. So happy birthday. How do you Thank feel you. today? I feel great. I'm happy to be working. You're you know, I have, a, I have a job. I'm happy about that. <laughs> I'm going to have dinner with my brother in the city tonight as well, so I'm excited Sounds for that. Sounds lovely. Amazing. You're Thank glowing. You. Thank you. like fine wine. You look great. I am happy to be here with you guys on this beautiful day. Um, I was saying, women's soccer community, <laughs> this is uncomfortable, the women's soccer community has um, been a bit emotional, losing two legends in the past week, uh, Megan Rapino playing her last game for the national team um, a couple of days ago, and I know that everyone has been pretty impacted by all of this news. Um, first emotions, Lisa. Yeah, I mean, it's the end of an era, honestly, with Julie Ertz bowing out of the international game and, and the game overall, and then Megan Rapinoe um, saying goodbye to the U.S. and the legacy that she has left. I mean, I grew up watching Rapinoe play. Um, that She is the national team to me when I was watching them and cheering for them throughout right, 2015, 2019, all those World Cup runs in the Olympics. It was her that was the superstar of the team. And the future is, uh, I'm going to say, a little fuzzy because uh, without her, just because in my recent history of covering this team and being a fan, it's been her. It's been all her. So it is definitely bittersweet to say goodbye to her. However, I'm very happy she gets to go out on her own terms. That's really been the theme between Julie Ertz and Megan Rapinoe. They are choosing to do this, and I'm so happy for them. That's the biggest thing, right, is um, when you're a professional player, sometimes you don't get the choice when it's time to leave. And I was look, thinking about the 203 caps that Megan Rapinoe played. And if she played in 75% of those games, right, so, like 75 minutes out of those, um, She's played over 15,000 minutes for the national team. That's a lot of time. And you may have grown up with her, but I really did. We went on a recruiting trip together to Santa Clara. We played on the McDonald's All-American game together. Um, we had some moments with the national team together. Like, I, we've been through three ACLs each. This is something where I feel like um, it's just an end of an era for everybody, and everyone has different emotions with it. So um, happy that she got, got to do it on her own terms. Yeah. 
I agree. I'm I'm excited for her. I think she's created so much work and done so much outside of just her playing career that's like really means the most to me. I think she's always been a player that just has the audacity and has this really like bark behind their bite and has proven that with all of the advocacy work she's done and how much she stood up for women and marginalized groups. So I'm really excited to see what she does in her post-playing career. And I love that she's created space for these younger athletes. She gave a shout out to Trin, Soph, Naomi, and has created this kind of swaggy new player that I think is welcomed now into the U.S. national team. And I'm excited to see the future, everything she's done. Uh, we can pay amends to Megan Rapinoe and what she's done off the field forever. Darian, I know we, we bond about that. Um, but we'll get a little more into that a little bit later in the show because we'll be talking about her throughout. But with the NWSL regular season coming to a close soon, the list of players who qualify for free agency this offseason has been announced. And there are plenty of great players on here yeah. to go around. Um, when we look at this list, it's Rose Lavelle's on here, Crystal Dunn is there, Mallory Swanson, Tiriana Davidson, Emily Son, Emily Fox, Sam Mewis, Sarah Gordon, Maria Sanchez. Um, but Lisa, this is the 11th NWSL season and only the second year of free agency. Talk us through it because I'm still having a hard time understanding <laughs> what exactly it means to be restricted or not and all of these details. Yeah, there are so many asterisks that go with the list of free agents that the NWSL has released and it is just the second year of free agency. That came with the players and their new negotiated CBA that they did just a, a year and a half ago. It mm -hmm. feels like time has flown incredibly. Mm -hmm. And last year with the free agency, it was players that had been in the league for six years and now it's it's five years. So if you've given five years of service to the NWSL and your contract is expired at the end of this 2023 season, you are a free agent. However, if you have given three or more years, so that's three or four, um, you are then a restricted free agent. And there's about 20 players that are restricted free agents on this list of about 75 free agents. And that basically means that they are allowed to negotiate with other clubs and other coaches about different contracts. However, their current club has seven days to match that offer. Okay. If they do not, then that player is free to go wherever they want to go. So there are so many moving parts in it. And even last year, after the first offseason and the first free agency period, there were so many question marks because so many players signed contracts with options mm -hmm. to extend. And so then these players had to go into an arbitration, and that resolution came to it. So there are eight players that are, because of that arbitration, are now available as free agent selections this year. And the list is some top-notch quality, Jenny. <laughs> yes, we talk about that top-notch quality on this list. Jordan, if you're one of these NWSL front offices, who are you looking at? When I see, especially that list that we just had, I wish I could say Sam Mewis because I think out of that list, mm -hmm. that is the player that I want to see play more than anything. Um, so I hope if Sam's watching this, we know that we're, we're rooting for you and we hope that you can get back to the field soon. Uh, but Maria Sanchez of this list, because of the form that she's in, the freedom at which she plays, I think about some teams in NWSL where Sanchez could go. I think about Orlando and how fun it would be Ooh. to see Maria Sanchez in Orlando Pride because she would fit in with, with her Millie technical Bright? ability. Or Messiah Bright. <laughs> yeah, her technical <laughs> ability on the left side, tucking inside some of the freedom and creativity they have. So it's Sanchez for me. Darian. Oh, I would be freaking out to sign Crystal Dunn. Jack of all trades, she can play anywhere. I'd be like, where do you want to play? We'll we'll make it work. Yeah. Um, I would love, love, love her to come to Gotham. 
Ooh. Johnny, if you're watching this, come home. <laughs> we would love you. Come play the 10. Um, I think she would really thrive, especially with this front line that Gotham has. I think she would fit in really well. We have to remember that there are two new expansion clubs also totally. coming mm -hmm. into the NWSL. So they get dibs to talk to these players as well. And on that list, Tierna Davidson, the Chicago Red Stars defender, US WNT defender as well. She's from the Bay Area. Mm -hmm. Bay FC is coming into the league. I, I imagine that point. she'll want to make her way over there. And the beauty of the free agency is these players get a little bit of freedom to decide where they want to go, which for so Love long, it. I mean, you can attest to that. We are, they, we are free agency they fans. Didn't. Yes. They yes. had no choice in anything. So it opened last Friday through November 11th. Um, is when the conversations can happen. Teams can re-sign during this period. And then after uh, November 11th is when players of free agency can sign brand new contracts. So that's after the season is done. Thank you, Lisa, for that breakdown. Yeah. Really appreciate that because it is very difficult to understand as we're so new to all of this. Uh, kind of moving from that happy free agency aspect to a little bit of a sadder note, uh, Diana Ordonez suffered a head injury with the Mexican national team when she clashed with her own teammate Kimberly Rodriguez in the 29th minute of Mexico against Puerto Rico on Friday. And Viviana Villacorta will also miss the remainder of the NWSL season with a ruptured ACL. She's on the Orlando Pride and she's been incredible for their midfield and a Big component for their team's success. That's just one point outside of a playoff spot. And I'm just wondering how these teams move forward, uh, especially Viviana, without Viviana, Orlando Pride specifically without her. Yeah, I mean, good thing about Pride is I think they've done a good job this season of rotating players in the midfield a lot more. So they have people that can fill in. I know um, Carrie Abello can go in. Um, Jordi Listro can go in there. So they have players that are like-minded that can fit in that position, but it is a big loss missing Viviana, but I hope that they use it as motivation to yeah. get that point for her and make playoffs. I'm just sad for her. It's her second ACL in just a couple of years. Yeah. And she got drafted in 21, even though she was coming off an ACL, she was a ninth overall draft pick. That's how good this mm -hmm. player is. She's and amazing. to uh, suffer after just getting back into form, because she had an injury again last mm -hmm. year, didn't get to play very much last year. So now she's back in form, playing really well. Um, yeah, just devastated for her. I think that's number one. They'll adapt. They'll be fine. The team will yep. be fine. But my, my thoughts are more with Via Corta and how she gets through this right now. And I know that you support um, a lot of players after their ACLs and such. So I'm, I'm sure that potentially contacting you soon yes. for that support system that you lead. Yeah, and both of these teams are pushing for a playoff spot. Yeah. So it's devastating for these players now because they're not part of the potential playoff run because Houston number 10, Orlando number 7, they're just yeah. one win, both of them, away mm -hmm. from the playoff line because that's <laughs> a big loss. <laughs> Literally crazy. So, that's a big loss. Yeah. And now these players are uh, unfortunately have to watch that from the sidelines, but hopefully they can get their rehab going and, and Diana Ordonez is okay with her head injury. Yeah, yeah mm -hmm. we hope to hear that she is okay um, following that. But much more attacking third coming up. When we come back, we're going to take a look at the U.S. women's national team's friendly against South Africa, as well as the legendary, iconic Megan Rapinoe's goodbye to the national team. Stay with us. The U.S. women's national team played their second of their two friendlies against South Africa on Sunday. The match was Megan Rapinoe's last with the national team. We see her there with partner Sue Bird. Um, Megan was also there for Sue Bird's last game with the national team. So incredible full circle moment there. And you see a bunch of fans there supporting Megan and thanking her for the impact that she's had in the career she's had with the national team. Um, Take us through the game, Jordan. Yeah, well, the U.S. team really wanted Megan Rapinoe to get on the score sheet, and they were very 
Dominic going down her side, but it was Alex Morgan with a beautiful cross. And I love this finish from Trin because you have to, as a goal scorer, anticipate the ball is going to come to you in all situations. Here it just dips over the top of the defender. She hits it with a powerful volley. And then off of a corner kick, the goalie tries to push it away. The keeper can't get it past the head of Emily Sonnet. And then this might have been the best part of the, the game with the Sonnet Rapino um, celebration that they had. They gave her her moment in the corner. The whole team celebrated a great career for Megan Rapino. She played a little over 50 minutes. We take a look at those match stats now. The U.S. Women's National Team completely dominant in possession and shots. Um, again, a 2-0 scoreline. But Trinity Rodman's goal for me, I mean, this is back-to-back games against South Africa where she scores off of an Alex Morgan cross and just her timing, her ability to be clinical in those moments. She had another instance at the, you know, I don't know, towards the end of the game where she hits it off the crossbar, just Again, showing her ability to create her own chances, to finish them. I mean, like you mentioned, Jordan, there, to be ready for that volley and the way she hit it, maybe not that easy for everybody. You know, a lot of people sky that, and she placed it perfectly. Yeah, Trinity Rodman is red hot right now with this national team. She's gotten starts in both of these friendlies. She's aggressive. She's proving that she deserves to be in this starting lineup for this United States team. And it's not just her goal contributions. It's a lot of the work that she's doing off the ball. I mean, defensively, mm-hmm. she puts on the pressure for the counter press for the United States to draw the corner kick, which leads to their second goal in this second friendly. She does so much work to get open for her teammates, to make runs, to crosses into the box and taking on defenders. She's playing with such a wonderful freedom. It's yeah. so fun watching her. She's just playing soccer, this sport that she loves. And it's great to see her succeeding at this national team level because it, come the Olympics next summer, come the next 10 years of her career at this international level, they're going to need her to perform in big moments. And she's already proving that she can do that. She is a powerhouse. Trinity Rodman is that girl right now. And it's great to see that connection with her and Pino. I think what we spoke about before with Pino kind of passing the torch onto this new generation of players and I think this kind of goes hand in hand where she's taken some of the pages out of Pino's book but still her own woman still her own type of player and you love to see it I think the future is really bright Mm -hmm. with this torch being passed on to Trinity. I think the powerhouse is really interesting that you use that word because I was trying to figure out a way to express where the moments I think Trinity can get a little little bit better because she Mm. is so good at so many things but the times where she loses it is when it's a long touch, it's a heavy touch, because she does go full speed in so many moments. Mm-hmm. But if they are going to invert her at times and she's going to play in the pocket, she's going to have to be a little bit tidier with some of her touches. So it's managing that. How can I harness the power that I have, but also give the moment the softness when it needs it? And I think that's the next evolution of Trinity. But I am liking how she's evolving right now. I like the evolution and where she needs to go from here. I think she's going to get there pretty quickly. If you think back to even last year in the NWSL, getting her first cap with the senior national team, she had so many young moments, reckless moments, where she would get yellow cards for her temper or for just being reckless in her play. Her maturity Mm -hmm. took leaps and bounds over the last year of her career. Her technical ability has also grown. So those fine-tuned moments, I I like that you pick them out because that's what makes her the 0.01% to win the World Cup, to win the Golden Boot and the Golden Ball. And I, I honestly think she is a player that will get there because of her laser focus Mm -hmm. 
on the game and her, her want yeah. to get better. And she was talking to Jeff Kasuf with Equalizer Soccer and said, you can't not get better when you're with the national team because mm -hmm. every day is so challenging. So I know she will, but gosh, it's been so fun to watch in real time to her, her, her evolution of her game. Something I really want to see that we know we're going to be, there's a space to fill with Pino now retiring from the national team, a free kick specialist. I would love to see her be the one to start taking free kicks yeah. Corners. Right. What are the penalties like? Rack up those goals. I yeah. hope. I hope she's <laughs> yeah. the player that gets yeah. that. Put it, like out that. There. Yeah. Good show. Putting it out there. Putting it out there. Man of getting on the roster. True. You never know. Could True. Be tricky. I we, like it. We do all believe in manifesting here, right? All our good vibes on our. Oh on yeah. Our little today. words. Love it. Um, we, we can talk more about this match, or we can talk about where this team goes after uh, Megan Rapinoe, because when we talk about her legacy, I know we're going to talk one more time with Sandra Herrera. Um, we all had our little moment to speak about it, but I just feel like this team, like the U.S. women's national team, has done so much for women's sports um, in the past few years. And to do that, I think sometimes you need a catalyst. And I think that Megan Rapinoe has been that, you know, in all of these things. She is strong enough and I don't, I don't know if it's strength or just like brave enough to take the hit for a lot of it. Um, and being in a team dynamic, as we all have been before, it takes that. It takes someone, you know, holding the torch and being willing to take that fire. And for her to do that has advanced so much for women's sports. And I, and I just don't want to, I don't want to move on without saying, like, her impact off the field has been incredible. Her impact on the field for us as women's, women athletes has also been. Um, but where does the team go from here? Who fills that role? You talk about Trinity Rodman a little bit, you know, having that same kind of personality where she doesn't care if you don't mm -hmm. like her because she is unabashedly herself like mm -hmm. she is who she is what else is there like is there another player that can take up a role like this whether it's on the field as a player or I, off the I, field I'm kind of to, to the point where I like uh, nobody was Mia Hamm after Mia Hamm left yeah. nobody was Christine mm -hmm. Lilly I think that she served a really good role for this team and I think we're gonna see another player serve a really good role, whether it is Trinity Rodman, Sophia Smith, Naomi Gurma. They're going to have the, their way to work through this team, again, from a very young age, and to live their life in this spotlight and to get to show off and stand up for things that they believe in. And it's probably going to be some different things than Megan mm -hmm. did. And they're going to have their time to play really good football and to build what this next evolution and next iteration of the national team is. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't think you fill the shoes. I think like you set the boots to the side and you say, thank you. We honor this. Yeah. Whoever wears the 15 will honor mm -hmm. whoever, you know, who wore it before her. But um, it'll be nice to have some freshness. Yes. And I don't think yeah. there is a like for like swap. I mean, there is not a like for like swap for yeah. Megan Rapinoe in, in all aspects of the game. However, she spoke about after uh, this final game with the national team saying that she is so confident in this next group and she is knows that she's ready to pass this torch off because of the young players. Naomi Gurma, Sophia Smith, Trinity Rodman. She's like, this team is in great hands. I'm not worried about it at all. And that's because that she has changed her role over the last couple of years mm -hmm. on the field. You think about how she was no longer a starter in their last two international tournaments. She played a very different role, and in that role, she was able to uh, open the door for other players and, and use them to lean on her and it kind of transition herself out of that superstar role. And it brings some of the joy, right? Because yeah. Yeah. think about the sideline pictures of the, the non-starters and how much more joyful those were the last couple of years with Pino <laughs> on the true. bench. She's like, let's just be weird. Um, she always brought a weird quirkiness to everything as well. Yeah, and something I love is that she's had the audacity to do 
all of the daring things on the field. She's also done the same thing on the field, and it's created so much space, I think, for players. Us, she's inspired us and anybody that's watched the sport to be themselves and speak on things that they feel passionate about and speak for marginalized groups and represent um, these groups that don't get the same representation mm -hmm. or the platform that she has, even to her own detriment. Mm -hmm. So I think she's done all of this work and we all thank her and love her for it. And what's great about her is she realizes when it's time to step away and let somebody else have that light and use the platform. So I think that's what's happening now. And no, it's not gonna be like for like, I totally agree, but I think She's done so many different things and had created so many different pillars for women's sports in general that it's created so much space for who knows what's going to come next because yeah. we can kind of do whatever we want now. And she's yeah, helped she's create tired. that. Her knees are a little creaky. Yeah. <laughs> she's tired. But I agree it's, that she leaves, get this old and <laughs> she leaves um, in good hands. Like you mentioned, yeah. you guys mentioned the players there. You think about those players uh, character-wise, on the field-wise. I mean, I, I would I would have no regrets, you know, knowing that she played an impact in their lives on and off the field and mm -hmm. that they will continue the legacy that this national team uh, yeah. sets. And she's not going anywhere. She's still a nah. phone call, a text away. She'll be around. She's probably going to own a team. She's probably going to spy Seattle yeah. and yeah. Yeah. run the club. She's, right. not she's not actually going anywhere from the court. Is that Jordan? <laughs> I just say and she might. All right, we will have so much more on the U.S. women's national team when Sandra Herrera joins us next to talk the last two matches against South Africa and what the future of the Stars and Stripes may look like. Welcome back into the studio. We have CBS soccer journalist and OG attacking third host with Lisa here. Sandra Herrera with us to talk more on the U.S. Women's National Team. Welcome in, Sandra. Hey, y'all. Happy to be here. Feliz cumpleaños, Jenny. Thank you. Oh. Muchas gracias. Um, Sandra, you were at both of these matches, the Juilliard's goodbye and the Megan Rapinoe goodbye. First of all, what were the emotions like? Because I know you've covered these players for so many years, so your emotions are... Very important here, as well as what the vibe was around the entire stadium. High. The emotions were high. I was high on emotions. I think everybody was, right? That's maybe not uh, too unique to me, but I think that's what's so special about, about both of these players. I think with in, in Megan Rapinoe's case specifically, I'm someone who's been around, but there have been others who have covered this game for, for so long, and that's kind of what we were left with, that... Um, everybody has a, a Megan Rapinoe story in, in some sense, but it was nice to get to take in both of these games in Cincinnati and Chicago because you also got to see the endings of these careers and how people are reflective of these players and the mark that they're leaving behind in really in, in different ways. Like you can draw a lot of similarities in terms of Ertz and Rapinoe and how they competed on the pitch, what they won together, what some things that Megan Rubino even won um, before Julie Ertz got to the national team. Um, but then you also take a look at all of the things that people are saying about their career outside of it. And Julie Ertz being a player that teammates refer to as someone who has always kind of uh, demanded a bit more on the pitch because of just being such a very fierce competitor. Uh, and then you have Megan Rapinoe and, and lots of folks, you know, sharing all of their stories and, and memories uh, about her. Uh, but it's not just 
on the pitch. You know, it's like you hear all about um, and remember all of the the wonderful crosses and all of the goals and the cell of the iconic celebrations as well. But there's a, a difference, you know, in terms of when you're talking about uh, Megan Rapinoe, because you also include all of the incredible things that uh, she has done off the pitch. And when you think about Julie Ertz, uh, you think about the players and uh got to speak with her for a little bit during that game in Cincinnati. And, um, you know, when you go through that retirement ceremony, it's she made a special note to say that not everybody gets that. So the fact that she was able to kind of have a bit of closure was was helpful for, for her and kind of in saying goodbye. There's this really iconic image of her with Shannon Box during Shannon Box's farewell match. And it's something that has like stuck with me in the build up to these farewell games and asked her about kind of the script being a little bit flipped, how she is now the player on the receiving end of all of these wonderful and nice things to say. And I just really appreciated her honest answer and saying that she didn't get it she was just kind of like I, I at first that she didn't really let all of it sink in but to have this moment to have that game and then to sort of hear everyone be able to kind of say all of these things it has sort of helped settle that in uh, for her so she was very emotion- emotional in her post game um and rightfully so it's it's been a great career for her a competitor, Sandra. I mean, you know that. You've covered her for years in Chicago with the national team. Um, Even watching her warm up, it was like she's sticking to her routine. She's going to play one of the best games that she can as her last time out on the pitch. Um, But I want to talk about the fans that were there because you had the pleasure to be in Cincinnati and in Chicago for both of these matches. And we saw the signs on television for Earths, for Megan Rapinoe, saying goodbye to them, the jerseys that they wore. What did you notice of the fans and, and how much of an impact these players have made on the young women and fans at these stadiums? You know, it was almost like the the vibes for for Rapino's farewell game in Chicago was almost like very reflective of, of Rapino. Like you saw everybody was there and ready to kind of celebrate. It, there wasn't a lot of like mopey sadness, what comes next kind of uh, energy in this one. It was really about kind of celebrating the career of someone who's become such an important piece of this program's history. And it was a little bit like um, reflective of Pino in the sense where it's like when it came to the game, it was all about the players getting out there getting their point across on the pitch and having some fun all at the same time. It was really, really nice to see. And even in all of the pregame stuff, I mean, fans cheering everywhere, um, talking about, you know, their favorite memories of Megan Rapinoe as well, standing ovations for her when she was on any kind of set piece, whether it was a free kick or a corner kick. Um, very, very celebratory and uh, very well earned because this is this is such a, she's such a monumental player to the program. And of course, it was Rapinoe. So it was also very reflective as well. Um, in the end, speaking with her, talking about how it was kind of full circle, um, her saying in, in, in mixed zone that you know her dad being from the Chicagoland area and how she grew up a rabid Bulls fan played for WPS uh, with Chicago Red Stars specifically and it just kind of felt like uh, you know the, the, the right time and technically she still got some some games in front of her so it sort of feels like this build up this slow build up this slow walk and march to the end is providing a lot of different moments in different areas for people to to kind of go ahead and and say goodbye um, and it's difficult it's difficult to summarize Megan Rapinoe's career, no matter if you're covering it remotely, if you're covering it on the ground in her finals game, because it's, you know, she doesn't have a a short story and it's not one that just takes place 
on the pitch, right? We talk about so much that has happened off of it. Um, and she's just a player that has meant so much to so many, whether you're a fan, pundit, even someone in the media, former teammate, cur- uh, current teammate, um, just, a, just a player and person who has meant so much to so many. So we'll never be duplicated, right? Often imitated, never replicated, right? And uh, for those of us who have to talk about soccer for a living, you know, we're probably never going to stop talking about her because, um, you know, that's what happens when you become an icon. You become um, an inspiring, aspirational part of other people's stories. And um, that's really kind of what these final games, I think, have meant to, to all the former teammates, the current teammates, media fans and supporters alike. All right, Sandra, you said she's often imitated, so I'm going to imitate her with um, that handshake that she had when she left the field. And we are going to turn the page and go on to the substitutes that we saw, one of which in this last game was Mia Fischel. And from the jump, I, I know she didn't get as many touches maybe as we would have liked her to see, but there was a moment where right down the middle it was Haran to Fischl with a little back flick to DeMello. And I think I laughed out loud like, this is amazing. I, I can't <laughs> wait to see what this looks like. What does Mia Fischl think of her first appearance? What did you think of it? And uh, what's to come from her play- maybe possibly playing the nine going forward? Wow. Wow. Excited. These were all some of my reactions and responses in, in the in the press box. And I also want to be clear, people are excited for me official to get this first cap. Um, I don't know how it came across on their broadcast again because I was taking it in live, but there was a triple substitution that took place there. So by the time Mia Fischl's name was announced, Alex Morgan was fully gone from the pitch. And that was her image and name posted up on the scoreboard saying me official first ever cap and the response from the crowd was very very notable she's an exciting player and in turn people are excited to see her play and yeah it was only uh 20 minutes uh but i'm there with i'm right there with you jordan there were some very promising moments i think we're just seeing within this opening 20 minutes in her first cap right the big fish and i think she really kind of like lived up to that name because i loved her off the ball movement we just saw her swimming through those lines that were you know available with the space that she was seeing in front of her so hopefully we get to to see more i think that folks are are going to you know, hope that she could possibly be part of the equation in in October. But, you know, Women's Super League does uh, gear up. It's gearing up, hopefully, for October 1st with Chelsea versus uh, Tottenham. But um, she also was was thrilled to to get a first cap. It's such a monumental moment for a player and their career. Speaking with her in postgame, she alluded to that, that she was excited. And I think, Jordan, part of why she was playing the way she was was part of the instruction that she was given from interim head coach Twyla Kilgore, who said, Go out there, have fun, be you. Mm-hmm. And I think we saw a little bit of that in, in, in the twenty in the twenty minutes. So it was nice to speak with her and, and, and hear that. That was some of her final instruction coming out to the pitch. And got to ask her about Rapino as well, because these are the generations of players coming in who will look to the players who are leaving and say, you know, I was inspired by Julie Ertz, inspired by Megan Rapino, And uh, I asked her if she had a favorite Rapino moment, and she absolutely referred to the 2011 cross because she talked about being a nine. And she said, as a nine, you love being on the end of those moments. So uh, <laughs> Sandra, love hearing this new generation of players, especially a former Bruin that's having success with this U.S. Women's National Team. How do you feel about 
you know, not seeing Sam Coffey get on the pitch and Jaden Shaw and these players that we're so excited to be brought into this camp. Is it just kind of a warm-up camp as a reintroduction, or how do you see them fitting into the future with this next camp in October? You know, it was interesting to, to chat a little bit with uh, – Twyla Kilgore in, in the press conference in, in some of these games because she's in a very interesting position at this moment, right? You're you're an interim head coach. You're you're talking about moving the program ahead, and you're also referring to moving this program ahead when an eventual coach gets in here. But we've got two games for Twyla Kilgore here where she's got two wins for this team, and I don't think that should go um, un, unmarked or unnoticed. Uh, for her and in the difficult position that she's in, but it was a it was really good to sort of hear her talk about some of the newer faces in camp. Uh, Jaden Jaden Shaw was one of those players, of course. Mia Fischel as well. Um, Emmy Vignola getting a first cap in Cincinnati was massive as well, and that was part of I think some of the check boxes that perhaps she and the coaching staff in place at the moment wanted to make sure were checked off by the time these retirement games came to a close. Yes, it's about managing the emotions and it's about making sure that you're sending off these players with respect and with all the good celebratory feelings. But they did call in a large pool of players, 27, and they wanted to try to make sure that they built off of that World Cup performance against Sweden, that they went out there and they got those wins. Julie Ertz said in her final postgame, that's how you're going to move ahead. you got to go out there and you got to win. And and that's what they did. And these players are going to be a huge part of that equation moving forward. So lots of praise for them. Lots of praise for Trinity Rodman as well, who I think had the best performance uh, over the last two games of this United States women's national team international window. Every goal that she scored was absolutely stone cold. And you could see that when Megan Rapinoe talked about trying to create spaces on the team for players to be comfortable with their most authentic selves and being who they are in the pitch. And I think we got to see that from a lot of those players over the course of these past two games. Beautiful, Sandra. Thank you so much. I love that you gave Trinity a shot there because we really already spoke about how much we love to see her there. Sandra, always a pleasure to have you on. Thank you. Over this international break, there have been a number of important matches, including the first Olympic qualifier between Jamaica and Canada, as well as CONCACAF Gold Cup qualifiers. We're going to take a look at those matches a little bit closer when we come back. Stay with us. The U.S. has been playing friendlies, but CONCACAF have been full of qualifiers this international break. On Friday, Jamaica hosted Canada in the first of two matches that will determine the second CONCACAF team to go to the Summer's Olympics. Darian, take us through those highlights. I would love nothing more. <laughs> it was a really good game. Canada had a great attack. Um, here you have the first goal. Ashley Lawrence on the side going 1v1. And Nichelle Prince puts this away with a beautiful header on the near post. Just watch Nichelle Prince's movement to get in front of the defender to just tuck that away. And love the celebration. So happy she got a goal. And then here, late in the game, Jordan Huitema plays it out to Gabrielle Carl. And Adriana Leon gets the finish, which she was so energetic during this game. She had a lot of opportunities to score in the second half, and I'm glad she finally got one to put away for this 2-0 win over Jamaica. And here you have the stats. Canada, it wasn't as 
dominant as I would have thought it was going to be, but Canada had 57% possession over Jamaica's 43%, and then the shots kind of tell the tale of this game with seven shots on target for Canada and just two for Jamaica. But it was a really good game, and um, the their, sorry, Canada's coach Bev Priestman had said at the post-match interview that it was a really good game for them, and they kind of had a chip on their shoulders to have a lot more energy going into this these next two matches against Jamaica to overcome how they performed in the World Cup. And I think that game proved it. And looking forward to the second one, I think Jamaica's going to come out and want to prove themselves as well. Mm -hmm. So it'll be a really good matchup. It was a tough atmosphere, too. There was mm -hmm. a bunch of Vuvuzelas. You remember them from the, <laughs> yes. the South African <laughs> World Cup? It was felt that like 2010? that was nonstop in yes. my ear. I, it was hard to listen to at moments. But to provide that type of atmosphere, I think, mm -hmm. actually adds to the energy that Canada needed. They came out in a 3-4-3. I really liked them in this formation because Ashley Lawrence could be dominant in the channel, which she is. She's an attacking mm -hmm. outside back. It gives her, more freedom, gives her more freedom to go forward. So I thought Canada hit Jamaica with the right tactics. And the stats didn't reflect how no. dominant Canada was in this game. Jamaica couldn't find their footing. They, they had trouble keeping the ball, getting it. It was They looked exhausted at moments against this Canada side um, in, in which we haven't seen Canada be that dominant in a very long time. So both of these sides needed to use this game and this set, series of games to bolster themselves, uh, of course, to qualify for the Olympics, but really to get themselves back on the right side mm -hmm. of things in, in their game play. Canada definitely did that in their dominant play. Jamaica, there's a, a lot to look at in this match. Go back to the drawing board. How, how can they be a bit tighter? Um, give up these outside spaces, prevent the crosses coming in, mm -hmm. and then first and second balls, that's where Jamaica lost everything against Canada. I think both teams as well defensively were exposed. I think if Jamaica had a bit of a better attack going forward, Canada would have been punished and conceded some goals because defensively they were a bit out of touch and disjointed. And same with Jamaica on the second goal. You saw the two center backs were pulled way out of position and created so much space. So both have that to work on. But you're right. These are games where you can learn a lot from. And hopefully this next match, they're a little bit more sorted and connected. And it's all an aggregate. Mm -hmm. We don't have to wait long. Really yeah. tricky. We get that flipped off uh, very soon. But we also had a number of Women's Gold Cup qualifying matches this past week. Jordan, Mexico played against Costa Rica. No, nope. Puerto Rico. <laughs> Close. You got it. You got it there. And I think when we talk about Mexico, we think about just how they need to get on a better footing. And they didn't start off well because it was an own goal here early on in the game, 11th minute, Kimberly Rodriguez. It was a miscommunication between her and the goalkeeper. They're down one to nothing. But in first half stoppage time, they earn a set piece. And oh my, my, Maria Sanchez with a stunning goal. And then Mexico comes back to win this game 2-1. to one. It's Scarlett Camberos here who just dribbles at the defenders and said, hey, if you're not going to step to me, I am going to take control and get a shot off. Um, I felt like there were so many moments in this game where – you felt that dominance, as you're seeing from Mexico. Those they, shots. They, they had the ball. They had so many build-up plays where they switched the point two, three times to try to get it to the outside players. For me, it was a little cross-heavy. It was cross-dependent. Mm -hmm. And, of course, you're going to be like that when you have a player like Deanna Ordonez centrally who is so good with her head. But when she came off the field, I thought the best chances for Mexico were actually with little slip balls, playing a false nine, and then it was Camberos or mm -hmm. Sanchez running through the back line. That's where they were most effective. So can they utilize the channels to draw a team out? 
knowing that ultimately that's how they want to get through those little slip balls with short snappy runs and for Mexico this is a team that needs to pick up wins they need to turn mm -hmm. yeah. things around and, and get back into international competition because they've been missing for way too long and they get the set piece goal from Maria Sanchez individual brilliance is wonderful and I will uh, pat her on the back that all day <laughs> love to see it however that's not going to get you very far especially in CONCACAF mm -hmm. when you're going up against tough teams and it's not going to get you very far at the international level and even their second goal that Mexico scored is a bit of a dribbler into the back of the mm -hmm. net I want to see them authoritatively take shots on frame outside of the the box, chess their opposition goalkeeper, see what they can bring from it. I, I like that Mexico got the win, but I'm still not convinced that this yeah. is a turnaround team. And I don't feel like these, right now, these matches are going to be that convincing match that we're going to see, but it is important for them to feel confident, to build that, yeah. to go into those matches saying, we can play around teams, we can also be effective in the box um, and score goals. That's the kind of, like, you want to build off of those wins, so... Step in the right direction. Well, even with sure. the stats, the 36 shots to two, that shows that they're trying, they're trying, yeah. but it needs to be so much more clinical. So hopefully yes. they can build on that and put a few more shots away because they're creating these opportunities, and you're right. But there needs to be a variety of ways that they're scoring these goals mm -hmm. on target, on frame, testing the goalkeeper and putting them away. Hopefully they can build on that. Absolutely. We do hope they can build on that. Mexican here speaking. Uh, I do <laughs> hope that they build on that. Uh, Lisa, take us through Haiti against Costa Rica. Yeah, this Haitian side has been fun to watch over the last couple of years. They, they get into the attack. They get create shots. And they were able to do that. It, it was a lot of their counter press. That's what led to this opportunity that goes just wide. But then in the 70th minute, Haiti does it again. They force a play on the defense. And here's Borgella. She plays it to Mondesir, who gets this goal. It ends up being just 1-0 in favor of Haiti, but the unselfishness to play this ball back, a little give and go, it, it ends up being 2v1 for Haiti, and, and they find the back of the net in the 70th minute. Um, th this is what they needed against this Costa Rican side, because they had shots, they had plenty of shots throughout this match, and it just took one to find the back of the net. It's wild to me, the regression of this Costa Rica squad. Mm -hmm. From 2015 to now, it doesn't even feel like they are any remnants of who they used to be. They are um, constantly finding themselves chasing games and they can't get a, a grip or a footing in what they have done so well. So it, this next generation, it's going to be difficult if they don't get results in games like this. How are they going to find themselves back to where they want to be? Um, yeah, it looks a little dire for them right now. Wow. Okay, guys. Well, thank you so much for joining us here on Attacking Third today. We're going to be back on Wednesday at 4 p.m. with all of the latest from the world of women's soccer. And we have a fun game to play on Wednesday as well. Make sure you guys stay tuned. We'll see you next time.